Hey everyone, I'm Andrew, and you're listening to Small Efforts, a collaboration between Crit and Miss Grants. And hi, I'm Sean. Small Efforts is a show where we talk about cybersecurity, design, and the continuous small efforts it takes to build a business. If it doesn't we work, could just go get another yeah, one. If this doesn't work, they're only they're <laughs> only like it's only beer. Right? It's only <laughs> it's not only beer. It's like Michelob Ultra. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said it because I don't know how to pronounce that word. Michelob. 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 I think it's Michelob. 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 They should make a adult Michelob TV channel called Michelob. This is now degrading into like a like stupid two guys on a mic podcast <laughs> and no longer like intellectual at all. But was it ever intellectual at all? I thought that was the point. I thought we were going to talk about design and security. Anyway, they should make an adult TV show called Michelodian. Michelobian. Michelob- that's my. Okay. That's your worst. <laughs> that is the worst thing I've ever said recorded. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, if you can't tell from the pre-pod banter, yeah, Sean and I are in the same room. Sean and I are in the same. I mean, Andrew and I are <laughs> in the same room <laughs> for the for the first time ever. So we have we have now been friends for like what six months, a year, something like that. Yeah, yeah, like eight months maybe. Yeah, yeah, close to a year. I feel like. Okay, I think I followed you and DM'd you. I was like, oh, dude, hello, been f- a fan of your work for a while, and I think that's all I remember to be honest. But I have known about Crit for three years now. That is wild to me. Yeah. It was at Gartner at a wine networking thing at what? my previous job. How did you find out about us at a wine networking well, thing at Gartner? The visualizer. Oh, okay. But you guys hadn't said you did the visualizer. But uh-huh. I saw that Gartner's had a visualizer. Uh-huh. And Andrew was there. Ah. And Andrew and I were friends by then. And I was like, so... Who did the visualizer, Andrew? It's interesting to me because that's literally like how we've gotten most of our security work mm-hmm. is people saying, who did the visualizer? Yeah. And it's kind of funny because I, my assumption in my head is that everyone would assume that Grey Noise's internal team did the visualizer. But it's like everyone in security just assumes someone else did it yeah, correctly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they correctly yeah. assume that someone else did it. Yeah. But yeah, that's always been kind of funny to me. I've had, um, because we've done work for Grey Noise in the past as well, mm-hmm. just a presentation design and logos and graphics and whatnot. Presentations that we couldn't even show because they were internal. But people always see Grey Noise and no one reads the fact that, like, on our Miscreants website, we say, this is what we did, but you should really check out the work that Crit did. And everyone, like, a sales call goes, oh, you did the visualizer. Like, no. We did not do the visualizer. <laughs> I'm glad you're not here for UI UX things because then I would point you in Chris's direction. But Thanks, man. You want to hear something cool? Yeah. So I was just digging through our Twitter DMs mm-hmm. to try to find out when we first met. Yeah. And I found a funny DM from March 22nd, 2021. Okay. It reads, God, I'm going to sound like such a douche just the way I talk in Twitter DMs. <laughs> Yo, so Austin, my therapist, and my girlfriend all think we should start a podcast <laughs> and not worry about the results, but just focus on doing something that's fun and sustainable. What do you think? Should we do it? What do you think? Should we do it? No. This is a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> I like the idea of recording us drinking, but... Man, our Twitter DMs have some solid stuff. There's also one about somebody quitting their job and going full-time on miscreants oh that's pretty cool yeah that's pretty wow all right i get it oh here it is Uh oh yeah okay i totally hit you up july 30th 2020 we've been friends for over a year wow cheers 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 clink (laughs) (laughs) should i read my first message to you yeah yeah was it like a hey sean wavy emoji one of my partners just sent me a link to Miscreants. I run an app design firm, and we've started to do a lot more work in the InfoSec space, mostly through our connection with Andrew Morris at Grey Noise. Would you be down to have a virtual coffee one day and chat about InfoSec? I dig your values and all the experiments y'all are doing. I think I called you right after. I did think we you? hopped on a call right after. Yeah, we did hop on a call yeah. right after. Yeah. Shortly after, we like we messaged a couple times, and then you just said, are you free now? <laughs> and I was. <laughs> yeah. Word. So we are currently sitting in the same room because yeah. we're both at Black Hat slash DEF CON. Yeah. Wouldn't Black Hat's to. over. So I guess we're at DEF CON now, yeah. but we were here for both. Yeah. Also, sorry if I'm if the mic is going in and out. Oh, you're fine. It's okay. 
Thank you to Hatch for fixing that. Thanks, Hatch. We love you. Yeah, we love you. Hatch is our... We should probably figure out the names of our editors and not just... Chris, I think, is, okay. is one of them. Cool, cool. <laughs> They're going to hear that. <laughs> yeah, Chris Siriani. Cool. Hi, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Chris is the only one I have interacted with directly. Thanks, Chris. But yeah. So shout out to Hatch, who does the editing for this podcast. Yeah. I like posted this in an agency owner Slack group that I'm a part of. Mm. By the way, Bureau of Digital is like a pretty cool community. You should check them out at some point. Cool. So I posted podcasts and immediately someone was like, wow, that's like pretty well edited. Like that sounds pretty good for your first podcast episode. And I was like, oh yeah, we're not doing it ourselves. <laughs> yeah. That's why. And I've had a couple other people be like, shit, this sounds professional. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, it's because I'm not doing it. Yeah, yeah. Same, same, same. <laughs> so anyway, we're at DEF CON. Andrew and I are sitting perpendicular to each other <laughs> on an L-shaped couch on the 30th floor. Yeah, it's really nice. It was the cheapest suite we could find. Brought some miscreants people with me and Andrew is now here hanging out. I don't know where my designers are. They're just, they're hanging out in Vegas doing stuff. They so. might come back at some point and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have a yeah. little cameo. They might just completely interrupt this podcast, <laughs> and Mary's gonna be like, gonna have to like edit more stuff out. But that's cool. So we're in. Did you say where, like the city? Oh yeah, we're in Las Vegas. I guess Las I Vegas. Yeah, Las Vegas. Yeah, first Vegas. It's a weird place. Yeah, this is my second time. Mm-hmm. Second time at DefCon. First time at Black Hat. And second time in Vegas. Mm-hmm. What about you? This is my third time, I think. Could be fourth. I don't remember. Third. I think DEFCON 26 was my first DEFCON. Okay. So, I think. Yes, yes. DEFCON 26 was my first DEFCON. Yeah, dude. It is hot here. <laughs> it is hot. It has been, like, regularly 114 degrees this week. Mm-hmm. It's been brutal. Yeah. And I've been here since... Tuesday morning, woke up at five to get on my flight, and I've just been here, and it feels like I've been here for an, a year already. <laughs> I feel like a like Vegas local at this point. I felt really conflicted about coming. Um, like I was, yeah. it was up until the end. It was a game time decision. So Vegas has been a COVID hotspot. The new Delta variant, in particular. Yeah, Sean and I are both vaccinated, but there is still some level of risk. Breakthrough cases have been rising, and while both of us are young and healthy and likely to be fine, there's always some risk that you spread it and bring it back to your community. And yeah, so it felt really conflicted. Yeah, I decided to come anyway because I felt like this was kind of an important time for us to yeah. really start to get our name out there in the community and do some research. We have worked with now. I want to say like eight cybersecurity clients. Cool. Okay. Something like that. Maybe not quite that many. Somewhere around seven or eight, but still are very much getting to know the space and getting our name out there and getting into the space. So trying to just build up both our knowledge of the industry and mm-hmm. also build up leads and pipeline and all of that. And so... um We've had kind of a rocky start to the year, had some turnover, which I've talked about on the podcast before, and had a little bit of client churn and some things. So just felt like an important time for me to be here. And so I ultimately decided it was worth the risk and I was vaccinated and masking up and everything. So just trying to do everything I can to minimize the risk, but ultimately decided to stick with it. I don't know if you sort of struggled with some of those same thoughts. Yeah, no, for sure. So originally we were coming to represent a client, shout out to Intrigue and all the good stuff those guys are doing or those people are doing. Really cool team. We yeah. got the chance to hang out with them a little bit and they're really neat people. Amazing. Just killers, as Jonathan says. Absolute killers. But yeah, I don't know. Intrigue pulled out their presence at Black Hat because of the environment and you know a lot of their team members are coming so Jonathan understandably was like this is probably not the best idea and I was on the fence about it but I had already talked to Chris and Kelly who are here with me they're designers at Miscreants about doing this Vegas trip and they were also ready to go and yeah you know like this time of year is probably one of the best networking events for Mm -hmm. companies like ours as you were saying that it crossed my mind like the fact that, like, to keep our companies going, we do sacrifice our health or, like, put it on the line a little bit. 
It could be a good thing. could be a good thing. Um, yeah, no, I was on the fence about it. Um, have been worried about it. Can I talk to Kristen Kelly? And um, I think we've just been trying to be cautious. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Kelly for bringing us KN95 masks. That was really helpful and, and sweet of her. Yeah, I mean, well, we're yeah. here anyway. So. Yeah, we're here and we're just doing the best we can. Mm-hmm. So what have your impressions been so far? Yeah. So let's talk about Black Hat first. Okay. Since that's over. Yeah. Black Hat felt like it was a third of the size. And I keep hearing that conversations were like more intimate. Mm-hmm. I wasn't on the vendor side this time. Again, since Intrigue was like, screw the booth. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really, I wasn't really pitching people. Um, so I don't know. That being said, it did feel really empty. Like there wasn't even carpet on the floors. Mm-hmm. Usually I feel like Black Hat is so much more of like an extravaganza and... This year just felt like, I don't know, like a much smaller corporate conference. But the thing is, like, Gartner, for example, is like a relatively smaller corporate conference. And the quality of leads at Gartner are really great. Mm. My thing is, for me, at least the people I met, it didn't feel like the quality of leads were that great at Black Hat. But again, this could be because I just was not a vendor this year. I also will say that, like, the way we were scanning leads was different. You scan them with your phone, like a QR code this time. Whereas like in the past, you had like a lead scanner, you could tap their badge and that made things a lot faster. Obviously, people want to go contactless, so it makes sense. It did make the badges seem a little cheaper. Everything just felt a little bit cheaper for hmm. some reason. Usually, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of large companies, still like CrowdStrike and Sentinel-1 always have their larger pre- mm-hmm. presence. It was interesting to see like ExtraHop and ReliaQuest. I know ReliaQuest just raised or something, so that explains their thing but yeah it was interesting it was just like it felt a lot smaller i don't know how much more intimate it was i think these smaller networking events outside of black hat like the things sponsored by other companies were valuable though Mm -hmm. and also felt better because it was a much smaller group of people yeah yeah i went to like a shout out to mimi but i went to the cybersecurity marketing brunch meetup thing and there was oh that sounds cool yeah there's boba there was cold brew it was great but it was like 10 people and it's like okay hi this feels way better than anything else great yeah so i had never been to black hat before so i didn't have anything to compare it to i had only been to defcon and defcon we'll talk about defcon in a minute defcon's just weird it's it's its yeah. own yeah, yeah. beast and it's a really fascinating interesting place and can be great networking of a certain like sort but it's not really a place to go and like do business it's not a place to generate leads mm-hmm. and so to me black hat felt like okay this is where i need to be for the business like this is where mm-hmm. i can go and it's acceptable to talk to people about business and product and there was an actual trade hall business hall is yeah. what they call it yeah. with vendor booths and so i was able to talk to a bunch of vendors who could be potential clients of ours and there was still enough there that i certainly didn't talk to everybody and i was only there for 2 days you were there for 3 so that might have been part of it too mm-hmm. but i found it found it really useful. The first day that I got there, even with it being smaller, and I mean, I did notice it felt like a smaller conference. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't feel massive. Again, didn't have that comparison, but I've been to enough tech conferences that had some things to compare it to. Yeah. Even with it being smaller, I still felt like pretty overwhelmed when I first got there. Yeah. Coming in by myself on my own and still being like, I keep saying I'm new to cybersecurity. I guess I'm like two years in now. <laughs> That's still new. That's... But yeah, I still yeah. I still feel pretty new. I'm literally working on a blog post, by the way, right now about cybersecurity acronyms. I'm just like, it's a giant list of acronyms mm-hmm. and definitions. Like, I thought you published that. So I've published the first part. It's uh, a three-part thing. Okay. Each part is going to have like 25, 26 acronyms. Nice. And so... I've now written two parts. The second part should be out by the time this podcast is live. And I still was just like overwhelmed with trying to figure out what all the different product categories were and what some of them, the acronyms they were throwing around and the jargon they were throwing around meant. And so at first when I got there, I very much felt like I wasn't even sure how to have a productive conversation with people. Mm -hmm. That's just practice. So over time I got got much more comfortable at explaining sort of what crit does and why we were there and i found it a lot easier to approach vendors one i i would try to find out if there's anyone from their product team there 
Mm-hmm. Most of the time there was not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but I found it much easier to approach it not so much as like, hey, let me sell you on working with Crit, but let me just like try to use this as an opportunity to learn about product organizations at security companies. Yeah. So I would ask questions like, how many product managers do you have? How many designers do you have? How many total employees like do you have? Yeah. Like, what's your product management process like? Most of the time, I couldn't ask super detailed questions like that because, mm-hmm. again, there weren't a whole lot of product people there. But when I could, I would try to ask about like sort of day to day and how they felt about their UI and stuff. I think the most shocking ratio I saw was there was a 600 person company I talked to that had like four or five designers, <laughs> nice. which just sounds brutal. Yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. That seems like a recipe for success. Yeah. I wonder if the four are in-house and there's more external. Probably. That could also be it. Probably. Who knows, right? Yeah. Also, just the ways, trying to ask about like the ways that people did buy when they went out, like outside and like how they found vendors. Almost every time it was like the chief of product, VP of product, some product manager had a connection to somebody they had worked with before. Yeah. seems like there's a pretty big trend of like VPs of product being brought in from non-security companies mm-hmm. and then bringing like product managers and UX designers with them. I think that makes sense. I yeah. mean, you want to work with the people you've worked with before. Yeah. I have very mixed feelings about that because it's a surefire way to yeah. create, introduce bias and like reduce inclusivity in the hiring process. Yeah. It's so interesting that you bring this up because it means that like the buying cycle or the buying, like the customer buying process for agencies Mm -hmm. is so different than like the customer buying process for like B2B cybersecurity. So Gartner put out this, I have to show you this graph later, but I mean, basically, right, like in an enterprise when they're looking to buy any B2B tech product, really, that isn't something that you would buy with a credit card. Mm -hmm. It's a very complex buy, like problems identified. Then they search for like solutions through various ways, so like search engines or Slack's recommendations, whatever. Then you do demos, then you do POV trials, then you have conversations with more sales engineers and whatnot. And it's this long like buying cycle, Mm -hmm. right? But then with an agency, for example, it's largely just who have you worked with before? Yeah, it's a friend of a friend. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I guess to some degree, we should be grateful for that because it makes our jobs a lot simpler to sell. As long as you have those connections, the job becomes more about building relationships and building meaningful friendships that can turn into work someday. And I mean, it makes sense. It shouldn't be a surprise because pretty much all of our business comes from referrals. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just interesting to hear the different approaches and different. Yeah, there's just there are very, very, very few cybersecurity companies, it seems, that have a meaningful design team. Yeah. Like a true design team of yeah. the quality and size that I would expect for, you know, a several hundred person company. Mm-hmm. Were there any companies you saw that pleasantly surprised you? So there were definitely a couple of companies that their UX, UI designers seemed to be doing a lot with a little. Yeah. Because even if they were a little bit understaffed or something, they were still, there were a decent number that at least had like decent, like solid visual design. Like they yeah. looked clean, had decent visual hierarchy, your eye sort of knew where to go on a page. Mm-hmm. Felt like there were a lot of graphs that weren't all that helpful. Again, yeah, I don't have all of the context that someone who has a background as a security engineer would have or never been a SOC analyst, but just like looking at a lot of stuff, there seemed to be a lot of graphs that sort of, it felt like UX was maybe mm-hmm. a pretty decent problem. I talked to a number of people who brought up the issue that there seemed to be a disconnect between the designers they had worked with. So they had to spend a lot of time educating them on the product, which is something that mm-hmm. we have, to be honest, run into as well. But our goal is by focusing on cybersecurity to over time eliminate that and like build up institutional knowledge. Yeah, the investment is worth it. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's our whole shtick, right? Is that like the discovery phase is so much shorter with us because we have, well, yep. I get to have the experience, like security knowledge. Already. Does anyone else on your team, by the way, have like a security background? One has worked at Citrix. Another has worked with like other security companies Mm -hmm. and has a decent amount of knowledge. So nice. And then our biz dev person has also worked in security for years. So half, half of us do. I will say 
we also boost a lot of our internal security knowledge by mm-hmm. keeping just a circle of technical, like, I don't know, we call them advisors or technical advisors or fellows or whatever. And we, it's really just my network of people who work at MSSPs and other security teams. And they're very helpful in being essentially a sounding board for all of our designers and all of our teams. So even me as well, like, for all of our accounts, even doing spec work, like we go to them and ask like, hey, have you had experience with this product or this brand before? What do you cool. think? What are people saying about it? So that's usually what we do. I think Yeah, I think that's it's a worth, valuable asset yeah. to build. That's something yeah. I would love to build up over time. Yeah. Right now, most of our connections in security are still, to be honest, like clients and former clients. So mm-hmm. there's good and bad with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it helps having gone to school for cybersecurity, right? Like yeah. <laughs> all my yeah. friends, you know, that graduated are all working in security. So I can just one thing that you and I were talking about a little bit earlier was just asking people how they differentiated from other products in their category. Yeah. <laughs> do you uh, do you have some thoughts to share there? Yeah, man. Did you see anything? Yeah. Sometimes your tools are not that different. You guys just use <laughs> different colors, and you're all on bootstrap. I mean, so this was interesting, right? Um, I was having having a drink with a one of our VC partners, and we were talking about a startup, not security related, and he had brought up, and they invest in like some really solid cybersecurity companies. I mm-hmm. think one of them just exited for like a bunch of money. So they're really happy, and they closed their fund and all that. But anyway, he had brought up, I was asking about his, his investment philosophy, and he brought up the idea of like a sustainable edge. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that, right? But when we go and look at products in cybersecurity and we go, okay, so like, what is your differentiator? A lot of times their answer that I've been hearing is like, oh, we just have like better data. It's like, that's cool. But I don't know if that's like a sustainable edge. I think better data in particular could be saying we have better data is not helpful. Yeah. But being able to clarify like why your data is better, like yeah. do you have some sort of truly innovative technology that leads to your data being better and staying better? Mm-hmm. Like do you have an edge on your competition in some way? When we were starting our company that like sort of a mentor told us, which was forget about the Java. Basically, if we were programmers mm-hmm. and his advice was when you're doing sales, like Basically, just don't get too into the weeds. No one's buying your software because it's written in Java. They're buying it because it does something for them. Mm-hmm. And so maybe to some degree, talking about like why your data is better mm-hmm. is getting too into the weeds. Mm-hmm. And maybe folks, it's okay for folks to focus on outcomes. Yeah. But it definitely felt like there were a lot of yeah. biz dev and marketing people at Black Hat who did not do a great job of clearly explaining what differentiated their product from others in the category. Yeah, I think I made some notes about the most common answers I heard. Mm-hmm. There are a number of people who are like tying alerts together and are like, we can show you the path. We can show you how things flow, yeah. which is cool and valuable and visualizations and providing context and linking things together is valuable. But it seems like it's starting to become enough of a trend that it might not stay a differentiator for much longer. A lot of people talked about automation to reduce workload. A couple of people brought up bundling as a differentiator, which was interesting. So Mm -hmm. saying like, we bundle together several types of tools so that Mm -hmm. you don't have to pay for three. You you just pay for us. Mm -hmm. There were multiple talk about their combination of product and services. So having MDR services and stuff like that being one of the things they focused on. And then my favorite was almost every sales presentation I saw was like, we're better than the other people because we have AI. And yet, (laughs) everyone else also said they're better than the other people because of their AI. Which I think goes back to that kind of feeling of like, our data is better. It's like, our AI is better. Yeah. Is it? it? What's it even doing? Yeah. Yeah, there's no like wire cutter for cybersecurity tools, you know. (laughs) like yeah there's Gartner Peer Insights but it's not I don't think it's valuable and you know again this is why the buying process is so complex is like better data and better AI is not a valid answer every product pitch started to feel kind of the same which is basically like the bad guys are scary and like you're woefully unprepared yeah but do not fear there is hope yeah our tool will save the day (laughs) and I felt like and again, I'm saying this as an outsider. I'm saying this as like someone who's kind of new to this space. I feel like in my conversations with friends and people who who seem to be really plugged in and really knowledgeable about the industry, I hear a lot about kind of the more mundane everyday problems that SOC analysts and 
yeah. stock teams face, which are like turnover and retention and mm -hmm. tool fatigue and yeah. the amount of time it takes to train people on new tools and yeah. the amount of time they spend dealing with um, alerts and tracking down problems yeah. and like how stressful things can be. And mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to hear people talk more about just like, hey, we're going to make our tool easy to use because retention is hard and turnover is a big problem in this industry. And so like, we don't want yeah. you to have to spend like months and months training people yeah. or like even, hey, we're going to make our tool really pleasant to use so that your analysts aren't going to want to leave because they yeah. have good tooling that makes yeah. their life easier or yeah. something like that. Like, I kind of wanted to hear that approach more than the bad guys are scary. Yeah. Well, as for the bad guys are scary part, it's part of the thesis of why we exist mm -hmm. is because like two or three black hats ago, maybe two black hats ago, you know, it was a large black hat and the amount of marketing that's based on FUD, right? The mm -hmm. amount of marketing that fear and certainty doubt, by the way, mm -hmm. I'm not explaining this to you, but I was told to explain this multiple times this week. So apparently it's not like a known term, but like the amount of FUD marketing I see in cybersecurity, like really pissed me off. Because, mm -hmm. like, you're not... It makes sense because, like, when you do story branding and all that, like, you're supposed to present this problem or you're supposed to... Yeah, you've got to, yeah. like, reiterate yeah. the pain points so that people feel heard yeah. and feel like you understand them. Yeah. So there's some validity to that. There is. There is. I think people are tired of that. So I was talking mm -hmm. to a marketer who's been in the game for, like, 23 years. And he was saying, yeah, like, that worked. Like, that printed money. 10 years ago like mm -hmm. that just printed money and like now everyone's tired of it you don't have to underestimate the audience by saying these pain points exist yeah no shit bad guys exist like we all know this i think you do still have to like reiterate the pain points because mm -hmm. i do still believe that that's like just kind of good copywriting sure but i think moving on from the obvious pain points to the yeah, more yeah. Exactly. subtle nuanced exactly. pain points yeah that again are it's less about like drumming up fear and more about showing understanding being like hey right. i get what you're going through right like your job is tough but yeah. it's not impossible it doesn't have to be scary it's yeah. just like everyone's got tough shit to deal with and yeah no you're absolutely right sorry i just meant like instead of like talking about the overarching like <laughs> you know there's hackers out there breaking your shit yeah if you have empathy for your end user you know exactly like what your users like good user stories are and because you know that you know what the shit they have to deal with you know what like you know the types of fatigue analysts deal with mm -hmm. yeah we just did a strategy presentation on kind of what you were saying like the more mundane things like we were talking about sims and how like yeah like turnover is a good point right like Sims are brought into an organization because there's like two security people mm -hmm. at first and that security team grows and that Sim starts getting a lot more information piped into it and all that data ends up slowing shit down and oh, now those analysts are like, shit, why is my job like SecOps all of a sudden? Why am I a sysadmin? What is, what is SecOps? Security yeah. operations. What I'm trying to say is that it's like the sysadmin part of the work, right? It's setting up and maintaining like Splunk or Elastic or something like that. It's having to maintain that and making sure shit like that doesn't slow down. SecOps, I think, is related to that world. Of, like setting up the tooling yeah, and yeah, yeah. maintaining the logging systems yeah. and just maintaining all of the infrastructure yeah. required to operate a security team, kind yes. of. Thank you for being more coherent about that. Yeah, that's my understanding of SecOps. So cool. then it gets into like things like setting up, like writing Terraform scripts to set up whatever like instances mm -hmm. and whatnot but yeah it's a whole world and i think it's something that should be respected i just think that there's a lot of sec ops so hot take that mm -hmm. i think that alert fatigue has been a overused pain point oh uh-oh uh-huh uh-oh uh -huh. our friends at gray no, noise are... <laughs> no 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 see gray noise people were pioneers of it and uh, they okay, get to keep okay. it i just don't like all the new startups saying like oh alert fatigue alert fatigue mm -hmm. i think that the new hot thing mm -hmm will be about SecOps fatigue. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to define so is SecOps. So, is SecOps fatigue kind of in line with tool fatigue? Is that kind yeah, of similar? Yeah, I think I think we're using it because when we were talking yeah. last night, I think we're talking about the same thing. It's so, just, do you see bundling as kind of the natural progression of, like, if people start feeling that tool fatigue, do you think that the answer is bundling or do you think the answer is, is something else? I don't think the answer is bundling. I uh -huh. think the answer is having tools that have a much easier. So, And by bundling, we mean just like tools that kind of do everything. Yeah, but, yeah. And generally when you have tools that do everything, they don't do everything as well as 
specific tools that are designed for kind of a single function yeah. or a couple of functions. Yeah, I think bundling is a cheap way to solve the problem, mm -hmm. but I don't think that it's effective. Or it can be. I think it can be yeah. for sure. I just think that those tools start playing the game of like a price to feature ratio. Like mm -hmm. we do check all these boxes. So yeah. That's why you should buy us. And then you use them and you're like sales is like, yeah, we check these boxes and engineering. So this is like a conversations I have with some friends about sales always overselling certain features. And then when the client is like, or the customer is like, hey, I thought you did this. And they're like, uh, no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> or like, yeah, we do this ish like we do it enough to say that we do it but it's not like better than the tool other tool that does that so anyway yeah tools fatigue psychos fatigue i think it's just about like the like the experience of installing and maintaining a tool and mm -hmm. then also uninstalling it i think there's a lot of companies that have tools that after they have been integrated into a environment a bitch to remove and that's mm. why they stay so sticky and i guess it's a tactic right yeah but that's almost uh, that starts to get into like dark patterns yeah it's yeah. like you know exactly. hiding your cancellation funnel yeah it's a crappy way to try to keep customers because you don't end up with happy customers yeah. and you're not end up you you're not providing value and so it's not ever a good long-term strategy yeah it can work in the short term yeah i wonder if maybe the play is like let's say you have company a who has this kind of dark pattern and the company b offers like an uninstall specialist yeah. that comes in and helps you remove that shit so a number of companies in the email marketing space have done that oh, especially when they're yeah, yeah. like startups to try to get people to switch yeah. over yeah. because there's it's a ton of work to switch email marketing platforms yeah same with probably some website cms's i imagine yeah, yeah. Or like to do, like, I know that Asana and Monday and all of them kind of like let you have an import button. Yeah, the so. imports usually suck. Yeah. But a, yeah. a lot of times you'll see like a sort of early stage startup that'll mm -hmm. offer like free like migration services. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you end up with people build an entire industry out of migration services. Like, yeah. hey, I'll, I'll help you move from yeah. this one tool to this other tool. Speaking of importing real quick. Yeah. We just had to go through this ourselves okay? because we just sort of relaunched our website. We just yeah. moved our website over from Craft CMS right. to, Webflow. to Webflow. That's right. Welcome and, to the Webflow gang. And the biggest pain in the ass was the import process. <laughs> For the CMS. Yeah. Because we, yeah. we had over like 150 blog posts that we needed to move and newsletters and some random landing pages and stuff. And really, that's still relatively small for a site. Yeah. And we thankfully have a team of good engineers. And so one of our engineers just like used a web scraper mm -hmm. to automate most of the process. Mm -hmm. And then we've been able to just go through and yeah. do a lot of cleanup work. But there's still a good bit that needs to be needs yeah. to be done. But yeah, our new... Actually, have I shown you? I mean, I check out crit.com every now and then. Have you seen it this week? No, I have not seen it this week. I think it takes two types of crazy to one, go and Twitter DM someone in the same vertical as you. Hey, want to talk about the vertical you're in so we can move in? And then it takes the other type of crazy to go, yeah, want to have a call about it where I immediately spilled all the beans. <laughs> and we're like, dude, this is so exciting. There's two people in this vertical now. So. I regularly throughout this conference yeah. have had the feeling of like, we are sort of competitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we both do certain things yeah. really well. Yeah. I think both of us can do the things the other person does yeah. at least de like decently yeah. well. But yeah. I feel like we kind of thankfully have our own kind mm -hmm. of specialties or niches. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there have been multiple times yeah. I literally walked up to someone at Black Hat and I started talking to them about what we do and he was like, oh, are you the company from New York? And I was like, no, that's my best friend, Sean. He's <laughs> like, they're fucking awesome. Yeah. And I ended up just talking to him about how great Miss Grants is. Thanks. And I have done that a handful, a number of times where I'm just like, "Thanks." yeah, like Miss Grants is awesome. You you all yeah. should definitely talk to them uh, about apparel and all sorts of shit. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't really, it hadn't occurred to me until now that that was maybe kind of a cocky move. That's okay. We got some advice when we were considering mm -hmm. like this as a niche, as an mm -hmm. industry vertical to try to find other people, not necessarily design firms specifically, but mm -hmm. ideally at least 
one or two design firms mm -hmm. that had already made this their vertical just yeah. to test whether there was enough space here to operate in. Yeah. I think there's definitely enough space in here to operate in. And I also think that it helps that we have two very different like end goals for the time being. I wanted to give you a shout out. I guess a shout out. Oh, no. I guess shout out. About this. I guess shout Fuck. out. Okay. Thing. It's been really cool seeing you here at Black Hat and DEF CON because you have been totally in your element. Like, you come across as very confident and self assured, and just like you know what you're about, and you feel very comfortable approaching people and talking to people about what you do, and you feel like you know that you do good work. And it's been cool to see. And I've been enjoying just like walking around and mooching off of you a little bit and, and just like using it as a way to sort of learn about the industry and how mm -hmm. to connect people in the industry. I will also say that I think I have seen very clearly that the work you're doing with the apparel brand is mm -hmm. not just potentially building an interesting side business, mm -hmm. but also seems to be pretty damn good entry point with people in cybersecurity. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Sean will just, like, walk up to a table where he does not know the people and just be like, yo, you want t-shirts? And then <laughs> and then they're like, fuck, can we uh, hire you to do do some <laughs> apparel for us? Yeah, thanks. Was this the compliment you yeah. were warning about? Yeah, fuck. yeah. Okay. Okay, so I was taught by a mentor in the past to say thank you. So thank you. I appreciate that. My first reaction is to like negate everything you just said by saying don't that, do that. Like, I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. I don't know how much of it I am in my element, but I appreciate you saying that. I think that Black Cat Day number two, I actually like, like I saw you, this is the day you didn't have your glasses on because I didn't mm -hmm. know it was you. So I saw you <laughs> talking to someone and like wearing a green oyster and like squinting my eyes. Like that's not Andrew Morris. <laughs> Or Greg or Brandon. Does he just know who? And then I was like, oh, oh, that's Andrew. And I just like overheard you kind of talking about what you all do. And I think you, you do a pretty good job. Thanks. Too, I think. I was getting a little more into the swing of things by day mm -hmm. two. Day one was pretty abysmally awkward. Really? But, okay. gotcha. <laughs> but by day two, I was getting a little bit more comfortable, which is, again, part of mm -hmm. the reason I'm here is knowing that like this yeah. year might not turn into any leads much of sales, especially early for a company, like mm -hmm. when you haven't completely defined what it is you're selling mm -hmm. or like you haven't located everything, like you are testing the waters with new messaging all the time. Mm -hmm. And I definitely like even day two, I'm pretty sure I was talking to some people and it's just, just like, they're like, yeah, cool. Okay. Thanks. Bye. And like, I played around with like, hey, we're an agency. Hey, we're a studio. Hey, we're a design agency, a creative mm -hmm. agency. Like I remember saying something and they were like, oh, you do like, so you buy like ads or something and it's just going like, yeah, it is. It is always remarkable to me. I'll walk into a conversation and feel like I've once I start feeling a little bit more confident, I'll yeah. go into a conversation and be like, I feel like I explained that pretty clearly. And then people will be like, so what do you do? Yeah, I'll be like, we're a product design agency. And they'll be like, so what's your specialty? And I'm like, product design. They're like, oh, OK. Yeah. Which I think yeah. just has to do with every yeah. one people are also distracted worrying about their own insecurities and shit. Yeah. And so they don't always catch everything you say and you have to repeat things. And do yeah. I'm probably not explaining things as clearly as I think yeah. I am. So, yeah. But yeah, props. I think definitely seem to me like you're in your element and I can tell that you have a deep understanding of the industry and like what works and what doesn't. And I think that comes across. Thanks. I don't know what you're talking about, but thanks. Yeah. I'll take it. Now that you're kind of bringing this up, like it has been interesting seeing Miscreant sold to other people by other people. It's super fucking valuable and, to hear other people describe your company and what yeah, you do yeah. because it just like tells you what they yeah. hear and what they think and yeah. what like sticks out to them. Yeah. Well, sorry. It wasn't actually about that. Oh, um, okay. There's a, sorry. there's a separate thing. So, you know, Chris and Kelly are here with mm -hmm. me and just kind of hearing them talk about miscreants, mm. but not just them talking about miscreants, but their kind of like sales strategy, right? Because like really they're here and they're going to like paid for their stay. So they're going to be my salespeople for the week. So just kind of hearing them, but also I think hearing them make certain sales mistakes Mm. is also very interesting. So like overselling is one that I've seen a lot, which has been interesting. And also like, I think so much of sales has to do with listening and just mm -hmm. like asking questions until, and I think you do that really well too. Thanks. I think you get people to talk about their stuff and you come at it from a very like 
inquisitive slash I think people who are very wary of what you're doing will see it as like brain drain and on the other hand like people who are really passionate about their product which is usually the founders you end up working with anyway mm -hmm. like get super passionate about their product and that now you're like their best friend because you yeah who else is asking them about this stuff right yeah. like everyone else is like oh how much do you cost right I did so. talk to one person who was like a salesperson and I think was a pretty good salesperson yeah. and so he immediately was like oh you're trying to sell me and yeah. and to be fair to some degree I was but in that moment, I really wasn't. I was yeah. like, no, 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 I'm not, like, I know you're not going to hire us right now. I'm yeah. really just trying to get better and, like, ask, understand. Yeah, yeah. Like, I genuinely want to know the answers to these questions. But, yeah, for the most part, I think, if anything, my problem is probably underselling. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, literally your client uh -huh. uh, came up to us at one point and was, like, made a joke about the fucking dope T-shirts you all designed, the Revenge of the Attack Service oh, T-shirts. Thanks, thanks. So cool. And made a joke about, like, can you design T-shirts this good? And I was immediately like, no. <laughs> and she was like, uh, you shouldn't say that to yeah. a room full of potential clients. Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> but, I mean, at the same time, I think hopefully people see it as, like, we know what we do and we know what we don't. And hopefully that will make them want to work with us when they need the things that we do. I think you should say we absolutely can, but we're not going to do it because we only can. Ooh. Yeah, there we go. There, there we go. go. That's, There's, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's there the better. Go. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. All right. Uh-huh. I did say, I'm not going to say who on the call, but I did say to a client, or sorry, so not to a client. That would be really dumb. To a person who was talking to me about product design and I was like, yeah, this is cool, but we're not going to do it. You should talk to Andrew. And ah, thanks. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's probably the move, right? It's just like, yeah, like we can, obviously, because all design is transferable at some mm -hmm. point. But, like, that's your niche and that's your focus. And, mm -hmm. yeah, but... I've seen Austin's work. I think he could pull something crazy off, too. I've seen that little cart mascot <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> for that certain company. Super cute. Yeah, Austin is super talented, and some of the designers we have now, too, are yeah. bringing some new stuff. Yeah. Like, Nathan is, is stronger on the UX side, but mm -hmm. Iris on our team does some really cool visuals and illustration mm -hmm. stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah. she did a great job on the great noise visuals. Thanks. Back to the Andrew Morris fan <laughs> <club> show. <laughs> yeah. So I know I said well, I didn't want to talk about this, but mm -hmm. then you brought up product. You said the words product strategy. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. This is interesting because originally I was going to ask you, like, how do you define strategy, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know how much I care about that versus, like, how do you define product strategy? Because I Oof. have my definition of brand strategy. Oof. So now I'm curious how different or similar this is. So this is going to be some verbal processing here. Cool. Um, because to be honest, I don't think I have a good definition of product strategy. Me neither. There's a lot of like, like I have a lot of sort of concrete pieces that I think go into a product strategy. Yeah. Like user research yeah. and product analytics and goal setting and even things as concrete as user stories, I think, mm -hmm. are sort of part of defining product strategy mm -hmm. to some degree. Mm -hmm. You could also argue that they're just like product development, like you're building out specs, but I think mm -hmm. that process of building out specs is yeah. the strategy. There's overlap. Yeah, I think yeah, there's yeah. a lot of strategy in how you define what the mm -hmm. product should be and do. I will say like, one thing that's been kind of interesting in our approach to starting to sell strategy services is like we almost have kind of fallen into it. Over time, I was like, oh, this is product strategy. That's what gotcha. we're doing here. So like we start every project, if it's a greenfield project, so if it's like a totally new product, then we mm -hmm. start it with a road mapping session where we do that user research and the some understanding of the industry and the competition and the differentiators and ask mm -hmm. a bunch of questions. I think I think that's an underrated part of any strategy, by the way, is like people who are good at strategy are often just good at asking questions. Like they may yeah. not have all the answers, but yeah. they know how to ask questions that you then have to go figure out. Right. I think product strategy ultimately comes down to understanding the users of your product and mm -hmm. what their needs are and then using those to shape the direction of your products. If your users want something and it doesn't align with the business, like if you can't make it a profitable business, 
then it's not going to be an effective product strategy. I'll expand that to say product strategy comes down to understanding the needs and goals and context Mm -hmm. of stakeholders, the most important being users, Mm -hmm. and then using those to shape the direction of the product. And direction is probably kind of a vague Mm -hmm. word there, but what I mean by direction is really comes down to what are you including and what aren't you. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of like product strategy in a lot of ways is where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Is product strategy making product decisions that align with business goals or is it completely irrelevant to business goals? No, no, no. It's it's definitely okay. not completely irrelevant to business goals. I'm trying to decide if you can distill it down to just that or if right. you need right. to also include like user goals there. I mean, hopefully the Mm -hmm. business's goals are to create values Mm -hmm. for the user. Like, hopefully those goals are aligned. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure you can assume that. Yeah. Um, And so I think you might need to say it's product strategy comes down to like making product decisions that are aligned with the goals of the business Mm -hmm. and the users. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that's been interesting for us Mm. over the years, so you and I have talked a decent bit this week about branding and like Mm -hmm. earlier in this podcast, we were talking about like differentiation and positioning. And we often draw the line with our services of like, we want to stay focused on product. We don't want to get into marketing. Mm -hmm. And people typically lump positioning and parts of branding even more in the marketing category. Yeah. But they have all this overlap with product, right? Yeah. And it's super important for product, any good product team, to understand the positioning. And really, in a lot of ways, like product should be influencing sales and marketing and and vice versa, right? Like it Mm -hmm. needs to be a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And so like, I guess a question that I ask myself a lot is, should we be doing more to influence positioning and doing more like positioning workshops because Mm -hmm. positioning, you could definitely make an argument that positioning is one of the most critical elements of product strategy. You could also argue that it's not product strategy, it's marketing strategy. And I think the truth is it's a Venn diagram. Yeah, I think it's a Venn diagram. Yeah, it's it's so weird, which is why I kind of asked this question because I feel like it all has to kind of do with business goals and like that's kind of like the common differentiator. But what I I typically tell people, like I'll have potential clients ask if we do marketing and I typically tell them like, we want to be involved in marketing conversations. Like Mm -hmm. we want to be giving, providing input and asking questions and we want to understand what your marketing goals are because those do impact the product. Right. Even as concrete as like changes to the website might impact the user onboarding funnel or something right. like that. But where we draw the line is like we're not going to buy ads for you. Like we're not going to mm-hmm. actually do marketing implementation. Mm-hmm. But would you write messaging copy or figure out messaging? We have. Okay. We definitely have. In general, I think I would recommend that they work with a specialist mm-hmm. or offer to help bring in a specialist. Mm-hmm. We certainly write microcopy, which mm-hmm. I think okay. is a, a pretty vital skill that gets really overlooked in so much product design. Yeah, it's um, underrated. And really, I think so many people just aren't don't have enough microcopy and don't use it well. Yeah, microcopy is the like little words and phrases. I mean, it comes down to like labels on buttons, but it's also the little bits of copy scattered throughout your product that tell people what to do and provide context and information about how to use the product. Yeah. It's like a cancel button. It's like, are you sure you want to cancel? Or like, do you want to cancel? Or like, hey, like you're going to do this when you click the cancel button if you need help. Yeah. So Even things like the difference between a button that says sign up versus Mm -hmm start securing your business or mm. something like that. Like those are micro copy decisions yeah. that, that again are product decisions, but are also marketing decisions yeah. in a lot of ways. I think it's a brand decision. I don't think it's a marketing decision. 
Your small effort for the last session was to cook breakfast. I have not cooked myself breakfast. <sighs> I, I'm sorry. I, have I did eat breakfast, but okay. I did not cook okay. myself breakfast. Hey, that's the good. Next day. That's good. I'm well, I had brunch. I had brunch. On another podcast. Yeah. I have one idea for a Twitter thread. Okay. I think I was supposed to come up with like two to three, and I have one. So I think my small effort for next time is to come up with more ideas for Twitter threads, for two to three ideas for Twitter threads. I'm just going to going to stick with it until it gets done my small effort is to figure out a specific service offering that is swag related Ooh, yeah so this came out to a conversation with a like ir lead Mm -hmm. who is now potentially hiring us to do a lot of his team's merchandise yeah cool and he was like hey you should have a service offering that just gives security teams merchandise designs for them and maybe fulfills and ships it for them and like we were at defcon today and, mm-hmm. and that was asked again and yep. like I, I think oh that, yeah it's yeah. people want it yeah for yeah. sure yeah yeah i don't know what the price range is that's my worry yeah like what is people's like sort of built-in top end exactly that they're willing to pay for because like i feel like it's one of those things that people go wow i could go to fiverr for that Mm-hmm. Or like, ah, it's just a t-shirt. But I mean, you the know. people who want to go to Fiverr are not ever going to be true. your customers anyway, That's right? True. Like you want the people who go, I know I could go to Fiverr and end up with something that looks like what everyone else has. I want that Revenge of the Attack Surface t-shirt that looks like a vintage movie poster that everyone's going, whoa, where did you get that? That's fucking cool. That's fair. And they're sure as hell not going to get that on Fiverr. That's true. Yet... Yeah, not unless we go on to Fiverr and sell the <laughs> services there. <laughs> Please do not. Okay, Please I will not. John. I will not. That's my other small effort is that I will not be on Fiverr. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's a much smaller effort. No, so yeah, small effort is just to really figure out that service offering. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, cool, man. Cool. Well, stay safe. Shout out to Mary for producing. Shout out to Hatch for editing. Couldn't happen without either yeah, of you. So we have just this awesome team now that's helping us create yeah. this podcast and we've already gotten some great compliments on it. Yeah. And uh, we're really lucky to have them. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Cool. Bye. All right. Later. You just listened to Small Efforts, a podcast collaboration between Crit and Miscreants, hosted by Sean Sun and Andrew Askins. Sean is a hacker turned designer and the founder of Miscreants, a creative agency building memorable brand and product experiences for cybersecurity ventures. Andrew is an engineer turned CEO and the founder of Crit, a product design agency that helps cybersecurity founders create better products. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can check us out at smalleffortspod.com. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.